This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 523 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Two legendary teams return in the same week. Superman's pal continues his run. Clark hears the siren's call. Someone else will need to get Bruce's tea. The Man of Legacy, a ghostly high, and historical slayers. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, September 1st, 2019. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. So, diving right in with Justice League number 30 by Snyder, Tinian IV, Jimenez, and Sanchez. Scott Snyder has been building a very convoluted tale going back to issue number one, and this arc will supposedly pay it all off. We begin in a near future, like three days later, where Apex Luthor, Alex? kills the League easily now that he has the power of the totality, a.k.a. MacGuffinite. This is all described by Starman, who can now see into the future. He even says, This is not a dream, not a hoax, not an imaginary story. Superman's solution? Deputize everybody into the League. So we get a splash page with basically everyone. The Titans, the Super and Bat families, the Terrifics. The plan? It's the classic split up the teams to collect the remaining MacGuffinite, which is in the past and the future. This should allow the heroes to overcome Alex. The rest of the new team's job? Protect the time portals until they get back. Hawkgirl storms off, dubious that this will work, and a super pep talk doesn't seem to help. Meanwhile, Alex has been collecting villains and supercharging them, a.k.a. the offer, so we see a splash page of villains. By the way, the internet noticed that Jericho from the Deathstroke title is one of those people who accepted the offer. And he's seen in both splash pages. So on the hero team and the villain team, is that an error or is this all part of the plan? Is he a double agent or something? Just as the portals are open and the heroes enter them, the bad guys arrive and follow them in. GL John Stewart and Flash find themselves in the 1940s, while the Trinity appears sometime in the future. Both see skylines with the Doom symbol everywhere. The future team turns to find Commandy and his animal hybrids, telling them they are two weeks too late. The team in the past realize they are in some sort of museum, or maybe a headquarters? A green flame surrounds them and they see... The Justice Society of America, roll call. Golden Age Starman, Golden Age Hawkman, who we assume is another one of Carter's lives. The Sandman, Wildcat, The Golden Age Adam, Our Man, Dr. Fate, Jay Garrick Flash, Alan Scott, GL, all in their Golden Age finery. Welcome back, JSA. And speaking of returns... Superman number 14 by Bendis Rice, Prado, Albert, and Sinclair. 
This story has been all over the place, and frankly, you can zone out of most of the following. We will get to the important stuff in a moment. The entire superfamily, including the Zods, confront a host of galactic representatives about the conspiracy to destroy Krypton. Cut to the previous day, back at the remains of Krypton. Jor-El has set up Zod and Zar there to kill each other in the kryptonite-laced space. Of course, Cal won't allow this to happen, and he, with Kara, John, and Crypto, take on Zar as a team. The Thanagarians step in and take Zar and Jor-El into custody. Then the Kuns attack, and the team realizes that something must be done to stop this endless galactic fighting. Okay, so now we're back to the important stuff. John calls a timeout and mentions Earth's UN. Cal gives a speech to all the alien representatives. Basically, too many things have been done in secret and that conflicts must be resolved and truces brokered in public. They can work together in some sort of a... hmm, United Planets! Then they get a powerful confirmation that this will work with a bright flash and... We bid you greetings from the 31st century. We are the Legion of Superheroes. Cut to a double-page spread with updated versions of all your favorite LSHers. I count at least 26 of them. By the way, this is the page that caused all the consternation and delays from a few weeks ago. Lightning Lad is now clearly black. Check out BleedingCool.com for a comparison of the embargoed and released pages. They actually went to the point that Cal and John's complexions have been lightened to make it very clear. They explained that this day, August 18th, became a galactic event called Unity Day. The Legion of Superheroes Trinity, Lightning Lad, Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, offer an LSH membership, which Cal initially declines. She wasn't talking to you. John Kent, the creator of the United Planets, would you do us the great honor and join us as a member of the Legion of Superheroes? So in one week, we got back two teams that have been absent since the new 52. Both of them should have been introduced in the long-delayed Doomsday Clock, which was the initial plan. And by the way, issue 11 of 12 of Doomsday Clock comes out next week. DC even put out a picture of the issues at the distributor to confirm any doubts which we had. (laughs) Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, number two, by Fraction Lieber and Fairburn. As in the first issue, we get several chapters which move forward both the individual and overall stories. Jimmy Olsen's distant relative, Joaquim Olsen, returns from what was assumed to be a fatal fall with a lump of gold, which annoys the hell out of Luthaeus Alexander. Superman's non-biological brother, but like really good friend brother Jimmy Olsen, meets up with his big brother Julian, mentioning his Pulitzer for his photo of Lex in a perp walk. Julian is unimpressed, saying that Jimmy helped Luthor destroy some of Metropolis's history, see the last issue, asking Jimmy to just go one day without embarrassing their family. Jimmy Olsen's platonic plus one Superman is all about Cal performing hidden superpowers as a silly story. Close-up magic, he looks amazing in wigs, he can convince anyone to buy him a hot dog, before he has to leave to save the day. He sees Jimmy is depressed about not doing important stories and reminds Jimmy via a set of panels all the things he's done, most of which reference classic Silver Age stories, but one of which involves Lois and Jimmy in a war zone, which seems to cheer him up. Superman's guy in Gotham, Jimmy Olsen, takes us back to the point where he's hiding out, trying to crack the case of who reportedly killed him. He decides to call Lois for help, at least that's what it seems like, as Clark looks on, confused. Next issue... Everybody dies. My favorite comic right now. (laughs) 
Superman, Year One, Book Two from DC Black Label by Miller and Romita Jr. The oversized retelling of Clark's early years continues. He's now in Navy training, which he, of course, excels at, including in marksmanship. The brass move him to San Diego in SEAL training. He overhears what seems like mermaids offshore, and his CO seems to confirm their existence. But you never heard it from me. On leave, he gets in a fight after trying to protect a young woman, which results in a lot of cleaning things with a toothbrush. One night, he follows the call of the mermaids and finds Lori, who, unlike the Silver Age version, a regular girl in a wheelchair to hide her tail, is fully fishified. She takes him to Atlantis, where a Navy submarine has crashed. He helps them rebuild and then returns to the base, where his CO sees him come out of the water. Back to more training, where he easily defeats others in hand-to-hand combat, showing where he could have killed them multiple times. A team is brought together for a mission to save hostages on a ship from terrorists, and Clark takes care to kill no one, even stopping a bomber declaring an explosion a faulty charge. The CO brings him in for questioning after refusing to follow lethal orders, and he's then scrubbed out of the Navy. The CO tells Clark privately that he knows what he can do and to hone those talents. He then watches as Clark walks into the water. The second part of the story is about Clark's relationship with Lori and dealing with her father, the King. It's also the first time we see him in the costume. The King decides Clark is unworthy and tries multiple times to destroy him, including a Kraken attack, all of which fail. Turns out Dad wants Lori for himself. Clark defeats him and takes over the throne. Now Clark has a decision. Stay with Lori? What's interesting here is that there is zero mention of Lana, who he's still apparently in a relationship with. The artwork is gorgeous, but I think Atlantis may have been a misstep. I really think that this retelling is not going to lead to a Superman like we know him. This has to be an alternate world Superman. Well, since it's Frank Miller, presumably he's going to become the Superman that is in Dark Knight Returns. Hmm. Okay. Batman number 77 by King, Janin, Daniel, Belair, and Maury. City of Bane moves on. Robin returns to Gotham and is confronted by Gotham Girl. He has an ace up his sleeve, a magic wand from Clarion, which he uses to chain her up. Meanwhile, in Paris, Bruce awakens from his coma, telling Selina, I lost. He wants to go back, but he's clearly too weak to do so. But at least I'll die in Gotham, like mother, like father. It will be a good death. Selina replies, You want to take back our city, Bat? You want revenge for what they've done? Let me show you the way. Back in Gotham, the villains are enforcing all the laws, one involving a dog on too long a leash. Zaz punches out the owner while Scarecrow is ready to shoot the dog. Who would have thunk putting supervillains in charge of law enforcement would go south? Robin steps in and shuts them down before being confronted by Thomas Wayne. You must be Damien, my grandson. Again, no, you're not Batman. We're not related. You're fake. You're ancient. I'm Robin, and I'm here to beat you into the damn ground. Thomas says he must learn the price for returning to Gotham and beats him senselessly. When Damien wakes up, he finds himself tied up at Wayne Manor, just in time to watch Alfred's neck being broken by Bane. Alfred Pennyworth, 1939 to 2019, with multiple deaths in between. R.I.P. For now. Now Damien becomes the hostage to keep the others out. So we're taking bids on how long Alfred will stay dead. D.C., you really can't pull that type of gambit and expect us to be aghast anymore. Really? I, I've read some speculation that maybe it was Clayface yeah. or something. So, 
Dial H from Hero from Wonder Comics by Humphreys, Quinones, Hannah, and Gibson. Summer, a.k.a. Lolo Kick You, has made it to Metropolis just in time to find everyone transformed into metahumans by Mr. Thunderbolt. Needless to say, it's a disaster. The operator and Miguel watch this in the Heroverse. They need someone to show them the way. This is a job for Superman. But he's not here. Dial H for Hero. Summer tries her best to hold everything back, but is quickly overwhelmed. There's even a plane about to crash full of new heroes. She searches for someone who can fly to save them. The operator reminds Miguel of the time when Superman needed help from everyone and makes the call. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. Holy crap, that's my friend. It's Super Miguel, now in similar garb to the Man of Steel holding up the plane. Unfortunately, he's not sure how to do it. Other heroes step in to help, and the plane is safely landed. Legacy is more powerful than gravity. With Legacy, you can fly. We get a page of the heroes banding together to fix the city, while the operator quotes Marlon Brando's Jor-El. They can be a great people, Miguel. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show them the way. For this reason above all, their capacity for good, I have sent them you, my legacy, or something like that. Damn it, talking to myself again. All the heroes revert to normal, Summer and Miguel reunite, and the Thunderbolt Club, with a lair under the Daily Planet, meet Mr. Thunderbolt. He tells them they now have one of four H-dials from the multiverse, and with the others, they can transform all creation. Before we leave DC Comics, I just want to add a few of my thoughts. Why are there so many storylines going on right now? (laughs) DC wants to have continuity, but they don't pay any attention to continuity. I just want them to finish an event before starting another. I just don't see how the Doomsday Clock figures in with the Year of the Villains and the whole thing going on in the Bat titles. I have to say that if Mark was trying to get me to read comics right now, he'd have a hard time getting me to read DC because I could never figure it out. They say, oh... Different books can have different continuities, or this is happening at a different time. But then they stick something from an event in there that indicates that it's not at a different time. <laughs> they can't have it both ways. Either you exactly. Have, either you have continuity or you don't. Uh-huh. If you want to make each book a separate continuity, fine. Make That's that announcement and fine. move on. But then you can't go, oh, yeah, but this is also So we're going to have a this. crossover, and so yeah. even though it's not the same continuity. You know what DC needs? Several years ago, well, now probably 20 years ago, for the Superman books— they had this little symbol on each one that told you the order in which to read them because they were all coming out at weird times. Yes. And it was all one continuity. What they need is a main continuity symbol on on each book. So it's like, okay, this is part of the main continuity, and if it's not there, you can assume it's not part of the main continuity. Yeah. hmm <laughs> I think actually Marvel did that in some way because they had like an Earth 616 thing. You know, and they would say these are 616 books and these aren't. So Hmm. think about it, DC. Yeah. Dr. Mirage number one from Valiant by Visaggio, Robles, Belair, and Sharp. A new volume of a title we first enjoyed in the 90s. The basic concept, Sean is a magician who can see her dead husband, Juan, their detectives. In the last volume, they turned the whole thing into a reality show. But in the end, she lost her abilities, leaving her alone. She tries desperately to use ancient magic to reconnect, but only manages to blow the roof off their home. A knock on the door reveals a young woman named Grace who wants to talk to her about the Lord. In reality, she needs Sean's help. 
Grace has realized that they are both in hell, which is why Sean can't talk to Wen anymore. Grace is now seeing dead people, including Wen, via the drugs she's using for her mental condition. She takes the drug, reaches out to Sean, who then meets Wen for a moment. Grace is going to lead Sean into the parts of hell even the devil is scared to visit. Throughout, we get narration referencing the reality show they once starred in. It reminded me of the narration in the recent Mr. Miracle series. It's a fascinating concept. I'm really looking forward to the rest. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Chosen Ones number 1 from Boom Studios by Scott, Savarese, Lowenthal, and Sharp. This is a one-shot special introducing us to various slayers throughout history. Apparently, they were also seen on recent Buffy variant covers, and presumably we will see them again in the, in the main title. The mission takes us back to Sunnydale, 1808, where a young priest arrives to take over an abandoned shop that was the scene of a gruesome murder. Actually, he is a watcher, sent to find a slayer there. She turns out to be a young Native American woman who immediately mistrusts him. She sees the incoming Europeans as slavers, then cannibals, then vampires. In the end, they stop a hellmouth from being fully opened, but it's still there to be exploited. The small town is wiped out, and she tells him to leave and never come back. The Eating of Men takes us to Bologna, 14th century, where a young tomboy is under the care of a nanny, with a lot of dialogue that seems too modern for the time. Turns out the nanny is a vampire, and the young girl is forced to destroy her. In this case, the Watcher, a woman this time, arrived too late to help her, but takes her away. Behind the Mask takes us to Paris, 1820, with a quick story of a young debutante who is not what she seems. She flitters around at a costume ball, only to be accosted by a young man who turns out to be a vampire, of course. When he offers her pain or pleasure, she responds with a stake to the heart. I do hope Boom publishes more of these specials. All right, before we get out of here, it's time to play our America's Fastest Growing New Game Show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? And we actually have an Entertainment Weekly. Woohoo! Wow, amazing. Okay, are you ready, Mark? I'm ready. I'm pressing the button. TV related? Um, sort of. Is it some, like, overall fall preview? No. Okay. Is, um, is it about one, is it one person on the cover? Yes. Is it, like talking about that person yes okay so is it somebody who recently passed away no okay um so it's is this person an actor well yes is is it a man no okay woman yes and is she over 50 Mm, no okay so she's in her 40s i would guess yes and uh is she primarily known for film um i i would say i think it's pretty equal Film and TV. Hmm. Um, is she known for a a one particular TV show as opposed to many? I would say right now she might be known for one particular TV show. Okay, but she's done lots of big TV shows. Well. More than one big TV show. Not necessarily big TV shows. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Is, it, is the TV show a drama? Yes. Okay. Um, is the TV show currently on the air? Um, not quite yet. Not quite, so it's about to come out. Or is it between seasons or something? Um, both. Bo- oh, wow, well that... Okay, I'm going to throw that away entirely. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so completely different line here. Um, okay, I'll forget the TV show then. <laughs> so the movie... Uh, well, you can you can go with the TV show. <laughs> but it's both. <laughs> 
Try to pinpoint where it be it's being broadcast or where it's coming from. <laughs> is it broadcast? No. Is it cable? No. Is it streaming? Yes. Okay, it's on streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only 5,000 streaming shows. Um, dramas. And... Uh, but oh, you're running out of time. Yeah, I, okay. I completely lost. It's, it, it will be fairly obvious about why I said it is both on now and not on now. Okay? <laughs> because it's Olivia Coleman on The Queen, and she wasn't on the previous episodes, oh. but she is on the upcoming episodes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I never would have gotten that. <laughs> I could have been here for a week. All right. Announcer Bud, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.